0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I want to start by uh, saying good morning. Welcome, everybody. Not only in this room, but those in our Vallejo campus. Uh, This is their second official week together. So... Glad to have you guys with us, as well as those joining us online. Today we are starting a brand new series called What Makes You Happy? And the reason we're going through this series is because many of us don't know. We really don't know. And that every time you open a magazine or or a newspaper, every time you turn on the TV or listen to the radio or go online, there are people that you don't know and who don't know you, but they're telling you this is what you need to be happy And for all of our effort and and, and energy spent on that, we're still not as happy as we'd like to be. There's a place uh, about 400 miles south of here that makes the claim to be the happiest place on earth. Yeah, yeah. Although, although, after spending hundreds of dollars and fighting massive crowds to stand in line for 45 minutes for a ride that lasts for three minutes, I could debate that right now, Okay. Uh, especially especially at the end of the day after the electric parade when you're standing next to a two-year-old that's having a meltdown. It is not the happiest place on earth. Um, we spend lots of time and energy pursuing all of that. But if you're still not happy, if, you're, if you still find something's missing, then, then maybe we don't know the answer to that question. So we're going to, for the next six weeks, look at what makes you happy. Happy. And I don't want to talk just about the fleeting, temporary, um, kind of a you know, momentary happiness. What I'm talking about is a deep sense of, of joy and, and well-being. In fact, I, I'd like to give you a definition that we're going to work with, and I'm going to warn you up front, it's a little clunky because there's a lot of words in here, but trying to encapsulate the whole idea. But when we're talking for the next six weeks about happiness, we're talking about the experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being Combined with the sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. I know it's a little wordy there, but but that's kind of the general idea. That's what we want to talk about when we're talking about happiness. Um, a number of years ago now, the president of the uh, American Psychological Association, Martin, Dr. Martin Seligman... Um, made an address to to the the association. He said, you know, we have spent a great deal of time studying the negative side of things, depression, anxiety disorders, all of these other things. Maybe it's time that we start doing a little bit more research into what makes people happy, what makes them thrive, what makes them um, feel good about their life. And so uh, a lot of research has gone in over the number of years since then. And and there's a lot of great findings that have, have come out of that. And one of them is this, that if you looked at happiness as like a pie, you know, with a pie chart, um, 100% happiness, what they have done after years and years of research is they have discovered that roughly about 10% of our happiness comes from circumstances. Okay? What's funny about that is that's where most of us put our concentration on being happy, if only If only I had a new job, if only I owned a house in this community, if only I had a new car, a new phone, or whatever it might be. And and that's all circumstantial stuff, and it's always this thing that we are pursuing in our pursuit of happiness. But that only accounts for about 10%, and it's very much short-lived. So I am really happy with my car, but before the new car smell wears off, I am already dissatisfied and looking for another one, thinking about what my next car is going to be. Everything, I get a new job, and I think this is the greatest job in the world, and not much longer, then you kind of think, boy, I wish I had a different job. That's that's kind of how it goes. And only 10% accounts for that, and it's very short-lived, and it doesn't last very long. It doesn't um, sustain. uh, There's about another 50% uh, that they've discovered um, through a lot of studies is about our general temperament. Um, It's kind of innate. It's that set point. If you think of a, a thermostat, that you set for the temperature in your home um, the, the, you know, the, It might vary a little bit It might get a little bit warmer And then the heater will kick off And then it might get a little bit colder And the heater will come back in And there's kind of this natural set point And it's different for everybody Some people are a little bit more generally happy than others And, and that we can't really do much about That's kind of who we are But what they discovered This is the great finding is About 40% of our accounting for happiness Has to do with intentionality about how we live our lives, certain life practices. Um, not, not circumstances, changing circumstances, but just the way that we approach life, the things that we invest in with our lives, the practices that we make a part of our lives. And that's the 40% that we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. Because here's what's been most interesting to me, is after all of that research and kind of coming up with some of the, the, the things that tend to account for that, those life practices that really build lasting happiness in them, Every one of them, God told us about centuries ago in his word, <laughs> just about every one of them are accounted for in scripture. It's the way God designed us to live. He wired us for happiness and he knows what it is that makes us happy and his word gives us incredible insight as to what those life practices really look like That make for a happy life. And so that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. And we're going to kind of root the whole thing in the book of Philippians. If you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, it's a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi. And and it's only four chapters long. It's a fairly short letter. Um, But in those four chapters, the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing is used 14 times. So really the book of Philippians is kind of the handbook on Joy on happiness. And so we're gonna start there in chapter one with the first thing that Paul refers to when he talks about joy. And it's about relationships. If you wanna follow along, Philippians one, beginning in verse three. Paul wrote this to the church. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. It's first mentioned in the whole letter. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you all in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The very first thing that Paul writes about when it comes to joy is his relationship with this group of believers in this church in a city called Philippi. And that's actually one of the things that they discovered in all of the research is that deep, meaningful relationships has a great deal of impact on the joy level in our lives. And Paul writes this letter, by the way, from jail. He is in prison in Rome. He has no idea what his future is going to turn out to be. He has no idea what's going to happen from here on out. But in this letter, he writes about joy. And the first thing he talks about is his relationship with them. And I think there's some really key insights here, some things, it's not an exhaustive list, but I think there's three key elements that will deepen your relationships and with that deepen your sense of joy in your relationships. And we're going to look at them together. First one is simply this, genuinely express your admiration and affection to those around you because relationships thrive when that appreciation, when that affection is actually expressed. And that's how Paul begins the letter. very first thing he writes is this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now, these people were not perfect people. This church was not a perfect, per- perfect church. They were people in process, just like we are people in process today. He knew all of their faults. He knew all of their shortcomings. He knew all the struggles and stuff that was going on inside of the church. And as you get into the letter, you're gonna f- see some of these things. He knew all of those things, but that didn't limit his expression of joy to these people. Because it is so important for a deep relationship is that you are constantly expressing your thanks and your appreciation to other people. He doesn't start the letter saying, every time I think of you, I complain to God about you. <laughs> <laughs> in all my prayers for all of you, I keep praying that you would get it together and God would finally fix you. Okay, That's not what he prays. Regardless of what's going on and all the circumstances, he says, I still have this sense of joy about you. Because... No one ever deepened a relationship by criticism and complaint. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, in fact, here's another interesting thing that came out of his studies. That they have discovered that there is a ratio of criticisms to compliments that is needed for a healthy relationship. Um, a guy by the name of John uh, Gottman, he's a marriage researcher. And uh, what he did over a number of years was he would uh, video... Couples and their interactions In their conversations And how they uh, related to each other And all these things And he was able to By watching these videos and, and over some research Over a number of years Came to be able to predict Within a 91% accuracy Which couples would remain together And which would end up in divorce And one of the key elements Was the complaint to compliment ratio And here's the magic ratio Here's the num- magic number It is five to one For every criticism, you need at least five compliments, okay? So many of us in this room, we could improve our relationships just by upping the ratio. (laughs) I mean, just think about next time you are nagging or criticizing or complaining about your spouse or your siblings or your friends, okay? Just remember, every time you criticize, you're gonna have to come up with five things that is a compliment and something positive about them. Because that's what makes for good relationships relationships grow in that. And Paul, this is genuine from him, by the way. He's not just blowing smoke. He is really genuinely affectionate toward them. In fact, that's what he says. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Now, remember, we just finished this soul keeping series. The heart, that's not about mushy sentimentality. That's about commitment. The heart is the center of of decision making. It's the center of my will. And what he's saying is, I am so committed to you people, and and there's such a relationship there because of that commitment that, that it brings out this affection that I have for you. That, by the way, is part of the strategy behind our community groups because one of the things that we are finding more and more is that as we grow as a church in terms of Sunday attendance, it becomes all that much important as we grow bigger that we grow smaller at the same time. And that's what happens in our community groups. And if you're not in a community group, every time we start a new series, we tell people, this is a great chance to step in, to jump into a group and and give a group, just give it a test drive for the next six weeks over this series. And because what you're going to do is you're going to build some relationships. You're going to get to know some people. You're going to learn together. You're going to interact with each other. You're going to pray for each other. You're going to hold each other accountable. You are going to grow together. Now, let me say something. I know it's a little bit artificial. And you might get into a group and you just may not find a connection there. And that's okay. Don't give up on community groups. Just find another one. We'll help you get into another one. Just keep trying until you find one that really fits you. But it is so important, not only for personal relationships, but for your own spiritual growth, that you have that kind of connection. And the heart of their connection, Paul's connection with them, was the grace of God. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, it's one thing to talk about grace. It's another thing to have to live it with other people. But it's in the living that you truly discover what it is. And and what Paul is in essence saying is, because of my relationship with God and his affection for me and his grace shown to me, that spills out into my relationships with you. This is the thing that we have in common. That I'm imperfect, that I'm a person in process, that I'm still learning and growing and struggling through this whole thing, and so are you. But because I know of God's grace to me, I can extend grace to other people. So let me ask you, maybe a little bit of a homework assignment. Who in your life needs some admiration? Who in your life needs some affection? Maybe someone you've been criticizing a lot and you got a lot of making up to do on the compliment side. But just this week, express it to them. Tell them how much they mean to you, how important they are to you, how good they are to to have in your life. Second one, that relationships grow deeper in joy and deeper in relationship when we share together in a common purpose. And, And you see this all the time in sports teams. In fact, very often, some of the best teams, championship teams, aren't made up of superstars. Very often, it's just people who know how to work with each other. And and that's what you find all over. Everyone knows what their purpose is, and everyone knows their part in that purpose. And and that becomes so important in your relationships. It's knowing that. Um, In Paul's relationship with these people, this is the thing. Their common purpose was this. He says, I always pray with joy because of, this is the reason for it, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This church launched uh, Paul's um, mission into Macedonia and Greece and by extension into the whole Roman Empire. It was through the church in Philippi that that the Christian faith became more than just a Middle Eastern religion. It's where it started to blossom and take up the whole northern uh, Mediterranean Sea. And it all started in Philippi. And these people these people became so important to Paul and, and, and continued to encourage him and to support him, even, even financially, after he had long since left that church to go plant other churches. They were just a constant source of strength and encouragement for him. They were partners with him. And I can tell you from my own experience, some of the deepest, closest relationships I developed was in those early years of planting Northgate. When there, and not all of them were people who were with us in that planting of this church, but, but people who were friends that would uh, call me from time to time and just say, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there? How, how can I pray for you? They became partners, even though they never became a part of this church, they became partners in the life of this church to this day. And that's what happens. Deep bonds are formed when you share in a common purpose. And not only that, but God does incredible things with people committed to a common purpose. It's how he designed his church. He designed his church to function as a body where everybody has a contribution to make. Everybody has something to offer. And we appreciate those gifts that we don't have that others do. And everybody contributes to the greater good. And there is no greater purpose than you can possibly have in life than the purpose of the gospel. Sharing that incredible news of God's grace with other people, expanding his kingdom, and that was at the heart of his relationships with them. It says this in verse 8. So whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. In other words, you are just as important to my ministry as I am. I couldn't do this without you. And, and we found that to be true here at Northgate. One of the reasons that we have experienced such a, a tremendous growth and, 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 and expansion is not just, yes, yes, very much, it is very much God working in us and among us, but it is also the team of people that we have. And I'm not just talking about the pastoral staff. I'm talking about all of the volunteers and all of the people who serve on a regular basis and and who give and support the work of this ministry. It it is you people that make this happen. We would not have launched a Vallejo campus were it not a group of people committed to that and dedicated to that and serving in that. And that's true what happens in the Benicia campus as well. And it's not just... um, sharing in the difficulties and the struggles of it. It's also sharing in the successes because it's in the successes that actually things kind of come to the forefront because when you're successful, there's a chance of pride to slip in or or envy or jealousy. If one person doesn't get the credit they think they deserve. And for Paul, he said, you are just as important to this as I am. I couldn't do this without you. So if you want to deepen relationships, do something together with somebody. Come alongside them and and join them uh, in what you're doing, particularly in your ministry. And the third one, relationships grow and go deeper and experience greater happiness and joy when you support each other in prayer. Prayer becomes so vital because here's why. In prayer, what you do is you invite God into the relationship And when God becomes a part of any relationship, it will grow, it will develop, it will blossom, it will flourish. And a deeper sense of joy and connection will happen because of it. Because in prayer, what you're doing is you are wanting and believing and expecting the best for someone else. And anytime you do that and you bring God into the picture, good things happen in the relationship. Tim Stafford writes about it, puts it this way. He says, when we pray, we stand by God and we look with him toward those people and problems and their problems. When we lift up our eyes then toward him, we do so with loving praise, just as we look toward our our oldest and dearest friends and tell them how much we care for them, even though they already know it. We speak to him as we speak to our most intimate friends so that we can commune together in love. When you you join with somebody in prayer, not only do you support them, but there's also this thing called vulnerability. When you make your needs known, when you let somebody else know that you're not strong enough and you need their prayers for you as well. And what happens is relationships become tighter and deeper and more fulfilling and much happier. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus... There were crowds of people that followed him. If you think of it in concentric circles, there were crowds of people that followed him. Um, and some were just there for a healing or just to hear his teaching maybe or, or or get in on some blessing of some kind. But inside of that bigger crowd, there were a group of people that followed him pretty closely. Not just the 12, but a larger group. And, and he spoke to them, and, and they're mentioned very often in the Gospels. But then inside that group, there's the 12 that he called. And then in among those 12, there's the three, Peter, James, and John, that he really poured his life into. And, and the thing in our culture, I think, is we have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of crowd, and very few close friends. And that kind of closeness happens when you compliment and affirm and admire each other, when you, when you come alongside each other for a task or for a purpose, and when you support each other in prayer. And look at the nature of Paul's prayer here. Look at what he prays. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, what I want you to see is, The most important thing where he starts the whole prayer is that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, in other words, that you might truly understand what it is and what it means to love someone. Because we spend a lot of time on the knowledge and depth of insight part. And, And I think sometimes we love knowing much more than we know Loving. And he says, no, the purpose of the knowledge is that your love may abound more and more. And the result of that, he said, would be this, that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Or, I love the way the message paraphrase puts it this way, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all. What if, what if the church Was known for its relationships. What if the reputation that the church had was a reputation of joy, of caring, of of deep personal relationships. And, and, And instead of being known for what we are against, knowing who we are for, what if what if the church actually became the happiest place on earth? I think that's what God intended for his church. It's what he intended for you. It's what he intended for me. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you do also at our Vallejo campus, uh, your host there is going to kind of walk you through this next part. But we do this every week. We give people an opportunity to respond to the message. And I just want to ask you as we close today, what's the level of joy in your relationships? Might be in your marriage might be in your family, might, might be with friends. But what's the level of joy there? What could you do to deepen that relationship? What could you do to deepen that sense of joy? Maybe it's just more and more words of affirmation, just expressing to them how much they mean to you, how important they are in your life. Maybe, maybe it's coming alongside someone in a difficult situation, or or inviting someone into your life to do ministry together. Maybe you could just be more supportive in prayer for those people in your life. You can do that, and you don't have to do it on your own. Jesus is here along with you to help you, and it might mean it might mean some forgiveness needs to happen and some reconciliation it might mean just spending more time together but whatever it is if you would today make a decision about that and just simply say god i want to go deeper in my relationships i don't have many close friends and or maybe the close friends that i have struggling right now I want to be a part of their life part of what you're doing in their life And I can't do that on my own. If there's any way that I could pray for you and your relationships this morning, would you just let me know by raising your hand and just holding it up there. And as you do, also look up, catch my eye, because I want to acknowledge you and let you know I'm praying with you and for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. the most fulfilling relationship you could possibly have is a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. The God became a man and he took on life on our terms and experienced all of those things that you and I experience. And then ultimately as we celebrated last weekend, he went to the cross, paid a debt that you and I could have a relationship with God. And he rose again so that we would have that new life in him. And, and maybe for you it's a first step of faith. Maybe it's got to start with your relationship with God because you've never really addressed that. It's never become personal. You don't know what it means to live in the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. Today you can take a first step of faith. And it's just simply admitting your need, your faults, your struggles, your sin, receiving his forgiveness. And just putting your life in his hands. And if you've never done that, again, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that describes you, and today you need to take a first step of faith, same thing, would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, let me see it, and acknowledge it, and pray with you as we close? All right. All right. Yeah. Just join me in this prayer. And that's a first-time decision or just one more area of my life that I'm turning over to God. It's really pretty much the same. Lord, here we are with our faults, with our struggles and imperfections. We know we can't do this life on our own. So today we come to you and we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. We're putting our lives in your hands. We are asking for you to work in our relationships. That we might grow deeper in our relationship with you and deeper in our relationship with each other. That you wired us for this. And you know it's what we needed. And you give it to us freely as your grace. And so today, by just raising our hands, we're saying, me too. Me too, I need you. Bring your mercy and your grace to bear on our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.